So I've been spending a bit of time in my private time and in our small group uh, back in the Sermon on the Mount. And it has really been uh, affecting me. Uh, you get the Sermon on the Mount in the early verses of uh, Matthew. And I've just been so struck that it, the more I look at this, the more I just feel it is the heartbeat. It's the, it's the centerpiece of Jesus' teaching. Just such simple yet powerful teaching. And it's like everything else flows out of this teaching. And as you go back to it, it's so transformative and full of the spirit and power. And I've just, as I've been affected by that, I just want to bring this morning um, just, just one very simple, well-known passage um, that I actually believe God really wants to uh, stir and ignite uh, three things in us, speak to us about three things as a church and just freshly ignite us, particularly as we look forward to September and some of these exciting things that Chris has just been um, notifying us so well about. Um, just I, that I believe that God just has a, has a real purpose this morning through this verse. Very simple verse, like I say, very well known. And literally, what I want to do is just uh, notice, uh, just, just a couple of three thoughts, really, three things I notice as I read this passage this morning that I would love for us as a church to uh, take note of afresh in our Christian walks and the way that we shape Freedom Church together. So, are you up for this? Wow, enthusiasm. I love it. Come on. Woohoo! Thanks, Jack. That does actually say salt and light. I was trying to be um, I was trying to be all cool and have a little bit of black in there, but you can't actually see the light there. Uh, ironically, yeah. Yeah. All intended. <laughs> Humour. Let's move on. So the verse we're looking for looking at today is uh, if you turn to it in your Bibles um, and keep it open because I'm gonna be referring back to it, is Matthew five, thirteen to sixteen. So these are Jesus' words on salt and light. And they simply say this, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's it. And the first thing that I want you to take note of as you look at this passage is that Jesus here gives two very powerful you are statements about who you are, church. He says, firstly, you are salt. Saxa salt, other brands are available. And you are light. You are these two things. You are salt and you are light. Do you know, what is he talking about with this? Well, salt at the time was the main preservative for food before refrigeration. It stopped meat rotting 
and allowed food to be stored. It was a highly coveted technology of the day. But it was also incredibly hard to get. You had to mine for it in specific locations. Salt was a precious commodity in the ancient world. Many cultures used it as currency and vast trade routes grew up around it. It was a precious, mindful commodity that stopped things going rotten. Light? Well, light is defined in the dictionary as the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. Light is the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. So light is the thing that formerly made something invisible, visible to somebody. Unseeable, seeable. Unknowable, known. And actually, is the thing that underpins all creation and life on earth, doesn't it? You think about it. Powerful statements. So if you put these two statements together in context, Jesus is saying to his followers in the world that you are a uniquely precious commodity that he has preciously mined for, that has the ability to preserve goodness, prevent decay, and enable people to see what they were formerly blind to, bringing life as you do so. Preserving from decay and bringing things to life. Two powerful yet simple statements about identity. But what I really want you to take note of today about these two statements is that Jesus said them using the present tense. A tense which which means that right now, in this moment, as you sit here, you are salt and light. There's no sign of a future tense in this statement. One day when you are fully grown, you will be salt and light. There is no sense of any conditional element to this. If you do this, then you will be salt and light. When you truly get it, you will be salt and light. You have to meet this bar before you can be salt and light. No. Right now, in this moment, simply by existing and having responded to Jesus, you are salt and light. It doesn't matter what you do with your days, whether you're unemployed, whether you're employed, whether you're a doctor whether you're a businessman. You are salt and light as you go about in this world. You know, it won't surprise you, I'm sure, that before Matthew 5, verse 13 and 14, comes Matthew 5, verses 1 to 11. And if it does, I can pray for you later. But before this verse we get a verse known as the Beatitudes, or Blessed Attitudes, that says this. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What this essentially describes is the total transformation of the nature that comes about when somebody truly sees Jesus and understands the gospel and what has been done by God on the cross for them. And it describes the incredible blessings that come out of this new nature. You see, when we truly see Jesus in all his beauty, willingly gave up his life on a cross to pay the price of our sin and wrongdoing and bring us back into relationship with God that was broken, a new nature is formed in us by the Spirit that has a deep understanding of the poverty of our own spirits and a true mourning and sadness for the state of ourselves and the world around us as we realise its state before God. A meekness, a gentleness and a mercy with others grows in us as we know how kindly and gently we have been dealt with. And as we see the depth of his love and power, a longing for his good rule, his righteous rule, his peace to overflow into the world is born wherever we see oppression, hardship and the things that go against it. And you know what? A willingness to be persecuted is grown in us. So that we would move by his power, speak his word and see others come to know the same goodness of God that we have known. And the point that verse 13 makes on salt and light follows on directly from this transformation And it's this, that as he has fundamentally changed your nature in this way, by the power of God and his spirit, forgiving your sins and building in you a new man, you became something different because of his hand in your life. You instantly took on a different role, an identity and purpose in this world that you did not have before. You are now salt and light because of what he has done. One who has the power to stop decay and make God known in the earth around you. And I want you to notice this this morning. I want you to take note of the tense and the importance and the power of those two phrases afresh. That's the first thing I want you to take notice of. The second thing is that there is a big warning contained within this little set of verses. And the warning is this. 
that as you walk with Jesus, you can stop being salt and light. You can reject the change in nature his spirit wants to grow in you and stop living out being this precious preserving commodity in the world. How does this happen? What, what insight does this verse give us into this? How do we stop being the salt and light that Jesus created us to be? Firstly, I think in verse 13, if you look in your Bibles, it says we can lose our saltiness. We can lose our saltiness. And so become about as useful as dirt. You know, as I was reading, the only way that salt can lose its saltiness is by being mixed with impurities from the world around it. It loses its precious preserving properties as it gets mixed with impurities. If you can't see, that is a cup of dirt that I put in one of my household glasses just a minute ago that my wife, I'm sure, will be very happy about when she finds out about. But as we mix this in this, as we let one get affected by the other, it loses its saltiness. It just becomes good, as good as dirt. You know, the, the jump as Christians in what this means when we look at it in a spiritual context and Jesus in contract, context, we often jump straight to committing sin. Things where we actively know we're being disobedient in the way God wants us to be, mixing impurities in that way. And you know what? This can be a major part of Christians losing their saltiness. Do you know, if I think recently about some things that have affected Christians, Christian and Christianity's saltiness in the earth, I'd, I'd probably think of some of the scandals we've seen within the leadership of the church, some of the abuses, some of the sex scandals, some of the adultery. And you just think, what, what has that done? No longer is that person able to be the, the powerful influence for salt and light because that saltiness has been so tainted by the impurity. They don't longer, no longer carry that authority of goodness, do they, in their life? It affects it, it taints it. And the truth is that actually if you're actively pursuing any practice that you know to be sin in your heart, if you've not broken free from things that you know to be directly contrary to God's world. Lads, if you're what, reading pornography all the time, if you're pursuing an adulterous relationship, anybody, or if you know your heart is really just fully idolatrizing something else and you're caught in it. All of these things are mixing something impure into the pure nature that God created in you. They're affecting your saltiness and your ability to impact this world with the salty, good, preserving flavour of God and the light that points people to Jesus. And if these are trends in your life and you know as you sit here they are, let me implore you, our God is a gracious, forgiving God who constantly will restore relationship with you. It's one of the most wonderful things about him. We don't have to hide from him, we come to him knowing that actually as we walk as children, we can come to our Father and we can repent. And repentance is going, I'm sorry. As I hear your word afresh, I see that my life has not been lining up with that. Lord, forgive me. Empower me. 
Father, by your Spirit, as I turn away from this 180 degrees, as I run from my sin again, as I do that with you, and as we do that, he pours out grace and forgiveness and mercy on us and allows us to be restored to that high place that he created in us when we first responded to the cross. He is a wonderful, gracious God. And repentance like that is a natural part, actually, of the Christian walk. Maybe not for things as big as that, but actually, whenever we notice something new in the gospel that's calling us to something deeper, or we see something that doesn't line up with his grace, oh, Father, I'm sorry, let me turn from that with you. And we know his grace and mercy and power in you. He is a great God. So sin, active sin, can be one of the ways we lose our saltiness. But I want to just highlight to you, I think there can just be another layer to losing our saltiness, which I think we really need to be aware of Christians, actually particularly if we've been walking a long time with Jesus. You know, the general trend in humanity, I think, is to start with an ideal starting point and then see it slip away from that. Last weekend, I went to London. I caught up with uh, a good uni mate. I was so excited about catching up with him. He was uh, a lad that was just uh, full of life. It was the first time in 10 years I'd seen him. And at uni, full of life and ideals and passions. And, you know, he was a go-getter for changing the world. And seeing him 10 years on, you know, it was great to catch up with him, but I was so sad. Because what had happened to this exuberance, this ideals, these passions. Now, he was a human rights lawyer. He was really doing some great stuff. But in his heart, things had jaded him along the way. Cynicism had set in, hurts had set in, frustrations had set in. And do you know what? I saw just a smidgen of the buoyancy that that guy had started with in his life. That passion, that joy that we had lived with together at university, that thing that I was so excited about seeing where it had taken him. It was just like the well had dried up in him. You know, as I've said, the Beatitudes, that verse I read before, give us a clear and powerful statement about the new, salty, shining nature God has given us all as Christians as they come to him, as we come to him. But unless we are careful and keep mindful of the preciousness of that nature he has given him and, and hold short account with him, we can follow a similar course as my uni mate. As the trials of life and church bombard us, this nature can be watered down with impurities. Now the humility and meekness that the cross newly born in us and built in us can become exchanged for pride and judgment of others. Mourning for the state of the world become, can become moaning at the state of the world. A hunger and a thirst for righteousness can become more like a, a snacky pang for righteousness. Hmm, quite like some righteousness right now. Take it or leave it. A willingness to be persecuted for the gospel can become an unwillingness to lose our comfort for the gospel. These are all ways where the new salty, precious mind nature that Jesus gave us can be mixed with impurities over time. And when we lose them, it can affect our ability to preserve the goodness of God in the world around us. 
Pride causes a breakdown of unity in the church that speaks of his amazing power to draw all peoples together. Moaning and a lack of passion over righteousness for God's kingdom can cause inaction where otherwise we would be the catalyst to change so that rock continues around us. Fear of losing our comfort means we never go for the gospel to new lands, to new places that may be costly, or we never speak up for Jesus in all situations. I might lose that thing that's comfortable. So rather than a shout of his name, we give a whisper and a whimper in the world. And whole cultures never come to know the goodness of his teaching. Do you see? Does that make sense to you? Have I explained that well enough? Over times, we can sometimes very subtly exchange zeal for pursuing the new nature that God has given us for impurities in the world. So we can't become as useful as dirt, in Jesus' own words. As salty as dirt. And very simply, following on from this, verse 15 continues with this heavyweight warning, really, indicating that there is also a way you can stop being light and the light you were intended to be. How? By hiding it. Apologies that this isn't a a basket for the more literal amongst you. Jesus says, by, by hiding it under a basket, we can hide it away. Make sure nobody sees that light shine. You know, almost daily as a Christian, I'm faced with key moments where I have the choice to either let my light shine, let it flash on, or hide it. Conversation where people ask what I did at the weekend or what I do for work. I can hide it. Opportunities to pray for somebody or explain the gospel or go the extra mile for people. I can hide it. Moments where I can respond in anger or I can respond in grace. I can, I can hide it. Many times where I can either listen to God's voice and his prompt to step out in a gift of the Spirit or I can ignore it. Each of these are moments where I can either crank up my light emissions or find the nearest basket to run and hide under. That's just the truth of the matter. And I wish I could say that I did better at that. I can either do my best for Jesus and the gospel in these moments or I can make sure that nobody knows anything about what he has done in my life so that it would never get the chance to see what they could not see before. Do you know, the basket will always look cosier in these situations. It is always the easier option. The outcome is far more predictable and it's far safer. But it's equally the way that we stifle the power of God within us, in our core nature, that enables others who cannot see him to get the chance to see him. So there's the second thing. Do you feel the weight of it? I really feel the weight of that as I read it, as I think about it, as I dwell upon it. Not in a condemnational way, but in a provocative way. Just like the word. The word, if we see something that doesn't align, like I've said, there's grace 
because we've got the God of grace who comes and he calls us to go through that repentance that I've already described and just be restored, just be lifted by his power again and go anew. But there is a weight in that warning for me. I don't want to lose my saltiness as I walk through life. I really don't want to hide my light. When others have shone before me, it is so beautiful. When I've tasted the saltiness of God, it's so good. It adds so much flavour. When I've seen its restoration and healing, I want to be that. I feel the weight of that warning in my life as I read scripture. And I hope I can convey it to you today. But this is the second thing I want you to note. There's a warning. You can stop being salt and light if you don't keep short account with God of where your nature has become mixed with impurities. Asking him to forgive and restore you whenever you see it. Fighting for those things that he has started in you. And that he's won for you. The final thing. There is an exhortation in these verses. A call for us as a church and an encouragement. And it's simply this. Don't be scared. Put you the new nature God has formed in you front and centre in your life, always. Not covering it, but treasuring it, wearing it like a badge of honour and flying the flag of its goodness into every situation. I think this is found clearly in two verses here. If again you want to go back to the Bible to see it. Verse 14 We're told we are to be like a city on the hill. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, in ancient times, just as it is today, really, but it sounds better as a preacher if you say ancient times, doesn't it? I sound more learned. I'm just going to say, a city on a hill, any city on a hill, it's a clear as day, isn't it? It can't be hidden. Jerusalem was a city on a hill. It is so prominent. And in the darkness, the light emitted shines so brightly and visibly for miles around that it cries out to everybody who lives in the vicinity, I'm a place of security, safety and life. And Jesus is using this picture to simply and powerfully say, as the light of the world, rather than hide, make it known to all around you who you are and what you stand for. Put it front and centre in all that you do. Take every opportunity. Speak the gospel. Pray for the sick. And building on 16, on this verse 16, he moves away from analogies actually and is just clear and explicit about us putting our faith front and centre. Verse 16 says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Illuminate situations with the gospel and goodness of God wherever you get the chance. Why? So that they may see through your transformed life and good works the goodness of God. There are so many lies about who our God is in this world. Our God is phenomenal, magnificent, glorious and good. And as we let our light shine, 
people can see the goodness of God. And they give him the glory and the honour that he truly deserves. Put your faith front and centre in life. Sow seeds wherever opportunity comes. Give people the chance to see Jesus. So as I was preparing, I came across a poem by an unknown author that really crystallised this need with me to fully shine with God so that others can see him. I just want to read it to you. It's called My Friend. My friend, my friend, I stand in judgment now. And honestly, I feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth, I walked with you day by day, but never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell the story. My knowledge then was dim, but you could have led me straight to him. Though we lived together on earth, you never told me of the second birth. And now I stand condemned this day because of what you failed to say. You taught me many things. That's true. I called you friend. I trusted you. Now I learn that it's too late. You could have saved me from my fate. We walked by day and talked by night. Yet you failed to show me the light. You let me live and let me die knowing that I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and laughed with you through joy and strife. And yet, coming to the end, I'm not sure I can call you friend. It's poetic, but it's poignant. There's something in it. Something in it. Listen, I don't know how people will respond to acts of love or the words of the gospel in this life. That's something that only God knows. I do know from these verses and others that I am simply to put my Christian faith front and centre wherever the opportunity presents. Whether that be on a church plan mission to dive in and get involved or in my daily life to give others the chance to respond to God and give God the chance to move in others. There are three things I want you to notice from this small bit of scripture. You are salt and light. This is your nature. Wonderful identity truth. Don't lose your saltiness or hide your light. Instead, put it front and centre in your life. I said at the beginning that I felt like through this teaching, God wanted to freshly challenge us about three things and impart to us new faith. And the first thing is this, it's about identity. Listen, these two statements, they tell us something incredible about your inherent worth to God. (laughs) And your calling to be set apart. And I feel like this morning, in a minute I'm just going to get the band back up as well. And I feel like this morning God wants to minister to those who feel insecure. Maybe because of what you're doing in life. Maybe because you feel ineffectual over a period of time. And he wants to minister to you afresh and say, this is your nature. This is what I did in you. I transformed you. Recognize afresh your great calling to be salt and light and what I've done in you. 
So I feel like the Lord as ever wants to speak just encouragement by your, his spirit into your spirit this morning and call out afresh that sense of purpose that he wants you to have. The second thing is for those who feel a bit lukewarm. I feel that he wants to speak to those who recognize from the conversation today that impurities have got into their saltiness and it's just lost its taste. Some of the new nature he started in you has just become tainted over the years. Your passion has grown to lukewarmness. And he wants to whisper to you, invite you to that repentance and a fresh restoration in the areas of your life that have been affected. Don't settle for lukewarmness or dim light in any area of your life. I believe it's just the encouragement of God to you this morning. He wants to use all those character traits and passions to take you on great adventures of faith with him. Finally, let's be bold for the loss. He wants to speak a fresh boldness into you. If you wear that basket hat like I do too often, he wants it to be a mark of our life, Freedom Church, that we are like a city on a hill. And I believe this morning the Spirit wants to stir you in bravery and boldness again so others may have the opportunity to see his glory through your witness through us as a church, whenever God gives us opportunity in this city.